Welcome back in to the Who Day Den. Back again with another episode. Episode six now. Reeling off three in a row. Who can stop me? I think just myself. So we're we're on a good routine here. We'll see how long this gets, gets going here. But it's been a fun series so far. Two episodes into the series. If you missed episode four or five, I was joined by a special guest, Mike Santagata at Bengals underscore Sands, S-A-N-S, on Twitter. And he did a great job breaking down the offensive line and defensive line for the Bengals and also talked on, uh, about those lines as it relates to the other teams within the AFC North. I learned a lot, and hopefully you learned a lot too. If you missed those, please go back, check them out. And we have had record listening numbers, listenership, the last couple episodes you know, only five episodes in, so it doesn't take much. But appreciate everybody here that has listened, stayed along for the ride. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already. We are distributed pretty much wherever podcasts are distributed to. Apple, Spotify, Google Cast, something, I don't know. Wherever you get them should be there. The Who Day Den. Thank you for listening. Rate and review, all that good stuff. Now, there is a, maybe a few noteworthy things to mention. Uh, I'm using Ben Baby. Shout out, Ben Baby. Thank you for uh, providing me some content here. Covers the Cincinnati Bengals and for the ESPN, I believe. I'm rolling through his Twitter feed. He has uh, some nuggets here from kind of open media day today where Joe Burrow, among others, talked a little bit that I wouldn't say there's anything major that happens. I would say maybe something we weren't expecting. The Bengals placed defensive tacky. Tacky. (laughs) Uh, The Bengals have placed defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi on the physically unable to perform list just before the start of training camp here. Uh, The pup list was the one we mentioned. When did we mention that? We were talking about uh, maybe Trey Hopkins avoiding that during the offensive line episode. Uh, but Larry on there, and hopefully it's nothing serious, and he should be back in practice soon enough, but not out there today. And I guess we got some quotes from Joe Burrow. I would say nothing, you know, really insightful. Says he feels close to 100%, feels good entering camp. We kind of expect those things, but it's great to hear either way. Um, I guess the other thing is... Um, he, he mentioned he's shutting down his social media for the, I guess, at least for training camp, just to be focused. And that would probably explain why he hasn't followed me back on Twitter. That's, that's about the only thing I can think of why he hasn't. So maybe when he activates that account again, I'll, I'll get the follow back. That'll be cool. Uh, he also, Joe Burrow, wants to get out there and take some snaps out in preseason. He says, get out there and feel the rush. I would rather him not feel any rush at all from the defensive line or anywhere else. Uh, Take your time, Joe. Take your time getting back. He's a competitor, though, so it doesn't surprise me that he wants to get out there. But um, hopefully he takes it easy and and hits the ground running in week one. Actually doesn't hit the ground at all. I'll think of a better uh, analogy there, but hopefully he's healthy and good to go. Now, the series that we kicked off in episode four was around the different position groups of the Bengals, how it compares to those in the AFC North. Uh, If you missed them, highly recommend you check them out. Um, 
you know, one thing that Mike did a great job of, I think, was he balanced optimism with being realistic. That's something that as he and I were talking before we hit record, that it's something I try to do in podcasts and tweets and things like that. I'm a fan, first and foremost, no doubt about it. But a lot of times fan bases struggle at times with balancing that it's blind optimism. And I mean, when you think about a fan as short for fanatic, it makes sense. But you know, if if Riley Reef and Jackson Carmen, Jonah Williams, all, they all perform at their ceiling, the top of their talent that they they just tap into it from the start. Could we have a great offensive line? I I guess we could, but you know, really along both the offensive line and the defensive line, there's unproven talent. We're trying to project a little bit. You know, maybe what the depth chart will look like, maybe who's going to develop and and be good. We hope they pan out before we can really confidently say with any certainty that they're going to be good, let alone great. Uh, and I think that kind of is factored in a little bit as to what Mike's talking about as he went through his rankings of where the Bengals uh, compare with the rest of the AFC North in those areas. So again, check it out. And and in those two episodes, we really were looking at, you know, through a lens of 2021. There's, there's so much turnover among the offensive line and the defensive line, not only the Bengals, I mean, for everyone in the NFL, it's really hard to project much further than just this upcoming year. We can't say, you know, over the next five seasons, which offensive line do you prefer, the Bengals or the Steelers? Guess what? In five years and four years, I think we might have two of these offensive linemen still on our team. If I think Jackson Carmen's still there and maybe Jonah Williams gets an extension, wouldn't be shocked if those are the only two that are there in a few years. And you, I mentioned Pittsburgh. You look at Pittsburgh. They have a whole new offensive line, looking at five new starters from last year, losing Pro Bowl guys and DeCastro and Pouncey, which we talked about in episode four, and a lot of uncertainty on that line. So with those episodes, it really was looking of, you know, going into the season, you know, which positional unit, which team's positional unit would you prefer? I think when we look at quarterbacks, we can do both. We can look at this upcoming season, 2021, but there is less turnover at that position in the NFL, you know, at least for the good quarterbacks, the good teams. And I'm going to try to look at it both from this upcoming season, but also looking at a little bit more macro view, I guess, of, you know, three, four, five years from now, which quarterback do you want? Um, so let's get right into it for 2021. The way I ranked quarterbacks as far as production, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Ben Roethlisberger. Now, I think people really like poo-pooing on Lamar's ability to throw the ball. He's been called a running back that happens to play quarterback. Realistically, though, he has had awful weapons in that passing game outside of Mark Andrews. I think last year he's throwing to Willie Sneed. Miles Boykin, who never panned out. Marquise Brown hasn't been what they thought he would be. I think adding uh, Rashad Bateman, the rookie out of Minnesota, I really liked him coming out. I think he's going to help Lamar. I think Sammy Watkins, as much as he's disappointed the fantasy football community, is probably one of those players that is a better, more useful NFL player than he is a fantasy football player. I think the addition of those two guys is going to help Lamar kind of take a step forward, regain his edge. This is a guy that was an MVP of the entire league just two seasons ago. I think he can get back to that level, not to mention maybe the the biggest 
advantage he has. Definitely the biggest advantage he has over any other quarterback. A thousand rushing yards, a lock for Lamar Jackson. Even uh, the games that he struggles throwing the ball for whatever reason, he can run the ball and provide for his offense in that way. I think he will be the most productive quarterback from the division this upcoming season. Joe Burrow close-ish behind. I wouldn't say he's left in the dust, but a lot has to go right for Joe Burrow, I think, to to surpass Lamar production-wise this year. You know, something he does have going for him is Cincinnati's going to provide tons of passing volume. And even if Joe Burrow's a little rusty to start the season, ultimately he's going to be fine. Uh, I'm, I'm interested and kind of cautiously optimistic, but when we think about Joe Burrow's glaring weakness from his rookie season, what was it? It was his deep ball accuracy. Time and again, we saw him struggle to hit A.J. Green or T. Higgins in stride. I like to um, I like to rag on A.J. Green probably more than I should. Uh, definitely respect him as a great legacy in Cincinnati. Last year was hard to watch. But really, when you watch some of the missed throws, they weren't all on A.J. Green. Uh, Joe Bro did struggle in that area, which was unexpected. That was something he excelled at in college at LSU. I think adding Jamar Chase helps in that area immensely, and we'll talk about that more in the wide receiver episode, the impact of Jamar Chase. So if Burrow can take a step forward with his deep ball accuracy, is able to knock off the rust after just a few games, uh, stays healthy, I think we'll be expecting a pretty productive season from Joe Burrow. He could put up some really gaudy numbers passing yards-wise. Baker Mayfield, I have third. Baker's just like in the perfect scheme right now. Uh, Kevin Stefanski calling the plays there allows Baker to really live off of play action and, and limit turnovers, limit the, the need to make risky throws, just play a very efficient level. They have an outstanding offensive line plug episode four. Uh, we talked about that a little bit. They, they have an awesome running game. You think about Nick Chubb, maybe one of the best pure runners in the NFL, Kareem hunt, who was what 1300 rushing yards or something as a rookie now a backup to Nick Chubb. Very, very talented there. So Baker doesn't have to do a whole lot. So I don't think we'll see statistics wise a huge season from Baker, but I continue to expect him to to be efficient again next year. And finally, I have Big Ben at number four for 2021. Now, I, I, I have to admit, I think the demise of Ben Roethlisberger has maybe been a little overstated, but then again, maybe it hasn't. He looked toast at the end of last year down the stretch. But I'm kind of wondering if an entire offseason to rest, an entire offseason to rehab his elbow and shoulder and arm and whatever was bothering him helps him regain some of the strength there. But even if he does, I think the offensive line is going to be really for <laughs> really poor. Episode four. Man, another plug. This is just perfect. Uh, of the AFC North quarterbacks, I expect Ben to probably be the least productive, and that's why he's the fourth option for me heading into 21. Now. We get into bigger picture. We want to take this conversation more towards a franchise cornerstone discussion into a, if you can have any of these quarterbacks placed on your favorite team, which is hopefully the Bengals for the next five, six years, whatever it is, who do you want? I think that brings up some all new points to consider. Now my order hasn't changed too much, but there's some more considerations there. So if I start from the bottom, I'm going again with big Ben. He's at number four. As you can see, I'm just not really confident in Ben anymore. He's 39 years old. No one would argue that he's not past his prime. So there's just little appeal there when you think about the next 
four, five, six years. You're talking about Tom Brady, who's older, but still producing at a very high level. You feel like, you know what, if Tom Brady was here, we could win a Super Bowl this year or next year before he retires, then maybe it'd be worth it. Maybe it'd be something you consider. I don't look at Ben Roethlisberger in the same way, though, anymore of if Ben is on your team, he is going to carry you to a Super Bowl. He's going to take a team that really isn't good enough to be there all the way to the Super Bowl, maybe like you would have thought of in his prime. So I don't know. When I look at Big Ben, it's just a big gnaw for me. Um, it, it brings me great joy to, to see some cracks in the Steelers organization right now, showing some signs of slowing down offensive line, as I mentioned, quarterback. There's not a clear session plan behind Big Ben. Hopefully this team is not continuing to run through the AFC North as they have in the past. Next, I'm going with Baker Mayfield. So he was number three for my seasonal rankings. Also number three when I think of franchise cornerstone. Now, I did like Baker Mayfield coming out of Oklahoma, which is weird. I'm a big Ohio State fan. So to see him plant the flag on the O when they beat the Buckeyes really rubbed me the wrong way. But just the swagger he had, not to mention, you know, his ability, but like the swagger kind of was like, okay, I can get down with that. Uh, it was it was a breath of fresh air, maybe. Um, and his rookie season was really legit. Comes out 27 passing touchdowns and only 13 starts. 266 passing yards per game. Things are looking great for him. And then the major regression hits. Year two, some of that, maybe most of that, can be attributed to Freddie Kitchens. He was a debacle at head coach. And then you see year three, a bounce back last year. Again, enter Kevin Stefanski, and now Baker Mayfield running that offense has a 26-8 to touchdown-interception ratio, played efficiently. But I think Baker was good last year playing more of a game manager role, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It kind of has negative connotations that if you're just a game manager, that means you can't do certain things on the field. I think Baker can, but he doesn't. I don't know that they want him to. I don't know that they want him running around and ad-libbing and taking risks. I'm not sure they trust him in that area. In his career, his touchdown to interception ratio, 29 to 26, in games where he has to throw it 35 plus times. So when the team needs him to throw the ball a lot, now why? Maybe it's a game they're losing, so it's a negative game script. He has to throw a lot. Maybe a game where uh, running... Running game isn't getting going, so they need to throw the ball more. Whatever the reason may be, there's lots of factors. Just looking at the games where they need him to throw the ball a lot, 35-plus times, he has a 29-26 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. Not great. Last year, he was only asked to throw the ball 35-plus times in a game four times. In those four games, only completed 55.6% of his passes, only had five passing touchdowns in the four games and four interceptions. I think Baker is a player that's going to do well on a team like the team he's on now. A great defense, stout offensive line, good running game. But if you take Baker Mayfield and you take him out of that environment, out of that scheme, and you put him in Cincinnati as Cincinnati's roster currently stands, is he elevating the play of those around him? Is he still as good of a quarterback if he doesn't have a, one of the best offensive lines in the league? if he doesn't have one of the best running backs in the league behind him. I don't I don't think he does. So for those reasons, he's my number three. And now we get into the one-two. This is kind of splitting hairs for me. If we go back to Lamar Jackson, 
he is a really difficult quarterback to evaluate because really we've never seen a quarterback like him before in the NFL. You can't take away the fact that he has rushing ability when you're talking about him just because he's a quarterback and maybe he lacks in some other areas as a thrower of the football. Running the football is a major part of his repertoire and he does it unbelievably well. He averages 63 rushing yards per game in his career, which is absurd. When you look at all rushers in the NFL since 2018, when Lamar entered the league, he is seventh in the league in rushing yards. So six guys ahead of him are obviously running backs. Guys like Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott. These are the guys that have more rushing yards than Lamar. And he's sitting at number seven in the NFL during that span, which is outrageous. I do think he has areas to grow as a passer, but it's not as bad as the general public maybe makes it out to seem. He should have better weapons this year, as I mentioned. I think we're going to see some growth there as a thrower of the ball. There's a couple areas that concern me a little bit with Lamar. When we talked about make, uh, Baker, we talked about how he struggled with games where his team needs him to throw the ball often. Lamar hasn't really struggled in those areas, but hasn't been asked to. So it's kind of difficult to say in, a, in an offense that maybe the defense isn't as good, the team's not as good, so he needs to pass the ball a lot. Is he capable of leading your team in that way? In his career, Lamar's only been asked to throw even 30 pass attempts in a game seven times in his 37 starts. So seven times in 37 starts, he's been asked to attempt 30-plus pass attempts. Last year, Joe Burrow attempted at least 30 pass attempts in every single game, including the game Washington where he was injured and only played a half. So in contrast to Baker, though, Lamar played well when he's needed to throw the ball a lot. He's compiled a 14-4 to touchdown-interception ratio. Another knock on him, though, I think is playoff performances. He's had four playoff games, completing 56% of his passes, three touchdowns, five interceptions. Three touchdowns, five interceptions. Barely over half of your passes completed in four games. It's definitely a red flag there. Lamar's obviously amazing, but right now I'm actually putting him at number two in the division among quarterbacks that I want to build around. Where's that leave us? That's right. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is the quarterback in the AFC North that you want to build around. Am I a homer? Maybe. But maybe not, because I did put a Twitter poll out. I want to see if I was crazy on this. I put a Twitter poll out, and I asked, in real NFL, not fantasy football, the real NFL, which quarterback would you want to build around for the next five years, Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow? And I will say, at the time of recording, Burrow is winning right now in a landslide, but there is a caveat there. My man Nate out of Bengals Talk retweeted it, so there may be some bias in there. It was about 75-25 in favor of Burrow last I checked. Even before he retweeted that, though, where we had kind of more of just a general public voting in there, the results were about 50-50. So I think to say Joe Burrow over Lamar Jackson really isn't Homer. People outside of Cincinnati, you know, 50-50 would agree with you. I think with Joe Burrow, when things aren't going well, which we saw a lot of last year, whether you want to call them excuses or whatever, but a shortened offseason, a weird COVID offseason thing, lots of virtual things, didn't get to really build the chemistry with his teammates like a normal offseason. We have talked at nauseum about the offensive line, which really 
for a young quarterback could really, really, really mess with your mechanics. And he didn't let those things really get to him. You regularly saw him make something out of nothing. And Lamar does that too. He obviously uses his legs a lot to, again, make something out of nothing. You think everybody's covered. What are you going to do? Well, Lamar's going to run for 10 yards. So he does it in that way, but Joe Burrow does it in a different way. How many times did we see him dip his shoulders, get out of sacks, spin around, get out of the pocket, make things happen in that way? He brings the best out of his teammates. He, I think, helps his teammates perform to the best of their ability, elevates the play of those around him. And again, I mean, back to Lamar, it's, it is really hard to quantify what Lamar Jackson's done in the context of the history of the NFL. I think Michael Vick's his closest comp stylistically, maybe. Even then, Michael Vick had just one season where he had 1,000 yards rushing. So Lamar's already just destroying him in that area a few years into his season, into his career. So I don't want to ignore that major part of his game. I don't want to say, well, without running, Lamar wouldn't be very good. You can't take that away. That's a huge part of his game. But when, I mean, I'll be honest, when I think about quarterback, I think about a passer, somebody who's throwing the ball. And I think intangibles also. I think Burrow can, can make every throw on the field. He struggled with his deep ball accuracy, but it's something that he displayed in college. And so I think he can make every throw on the field. We saw him hit some really tight windows last year. I think of the play where uh, a little bit of a timing thing hits Tyler Boyd over the middle for a big first down. Tyler Boyd hadn't even turned around when he throws the ball. As soon as he gets spun around, boom, ball right there. Um, just had some really flashed his ability to really place the ball where it needs to be placed. He can make those throws. I talked about intangibles, the leadership. I mean, Burrow oozes leadership. And again, like I said, he's, he's turning off social media. So I say that kind of tongue in cheek. This isn't unusual for an athlete to say they're, you know, taking a break from social media to focus. But just when you hear those types of things, you say, that's what I want my franchise quarterback to be saying. He leads by example. Um, not once last year did I feel like he let his frustration come through either with the offensive line or coaching or anything like that. He's always had Zach Taylor's back for better or for worse. Uh, and he was never tearing down the offensive line. And as he was continually asked throughout the season about the offensive line play, it seemed like he was trying to build them up with what he was saying. And that, those are the things you want to see out of your quarterback. Another way that I was trying to kind of split hairs be between Lamar and Joe Burrow is if if you put Joe Burrow in Lamar's situation from 2020, same offense, so not as good of pass catchers, no T. Higgins, no Tyler Boyd. Instead, he's throwing to Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Willie Sneed. What kind of numbers does Joe Burrow put up? I think Joe Burrow puts up better passing numbers in those that offense than Lamar did. And I actually don't really think that if Lamar came to Cincinnati – that he would be putting up gaudy numbers more than what he is now. Some of that is that he's able to run the ball. So that, that kind of caps his upside from a passing standpoint, because he's going to rush for a thousand plus yards that he could have been passing for. So it's kind of hard to make the comparison, but as I think let's put Joe Burrow on the Baltimore Ravens last year, is he still solid or does he now no longer look like an NFL starting quarterback? And I don't think that's the case. He has the ability to raise the play of those around him. I think Burrow would put up solid numbers with a weaker supporting cast. So Joe Burrow, Joey B, the quarterback in the AFC North you want to build around. So when we look at the next five years, 
goes Big Ben at four, Baker at three, Lamar at two, Joe Burrow at one. And how great is that to say? How great is it to be able to look at your team and you have a quarterback that you believe in, a quarterback that you actually think could lead you to a Super Bowl that has all of these things that you want to see in a franchise quarterback. Um, There's really nothing when I watch Joe Burrow play where I think if he doesn't improve in this area, we're in trouble. Granted, the deep ball accuracy is something you want to see, but he still performed admirably well last year for being such a poor deep ball passer. And it's exciting and it's nothing against, you know, Andy Dalton. I think I talked about a little bit on episode three when we're doing the schedule release i don't hate andy dalton i appreciate everything he did here he was one of the guys that you you needed to build a really really good team around him and then for him to play to the best of his ability in order to feel like you had a chance against tough opponents or a chance to make the playoffs or whatever it may be a lot has to go right for him and joe burrow is not quite like that i don't think i think joe burrow can have an off game and still beat good teams I think that uh, instead of being surrounded by the best talent possible, which he has great talent around him, you know, I do think that Joe Burrow can elevate those around him if he needed to. And I think we've seen him do it, even though it's, you know, not as weak of a supporting cast as other quarterbacks have. I'm excited about the future of Cincinnati, and it all starts with Joe Burrow, the quarterback that you want to build around from the AFC North, maybe in the AFC. Ah, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> oh, well, we'll stick with AFC North for now. We'll see where the future takes us with Joe. Anyways, we will be, what is this, three episodes in a row. I am on some sort of heater here. I am going to attempt to be consistent with the release of the rest of this series. So I will look at running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Still need to get on the defensive side of the ball again for defensive backs, linebackers. I'll probably get some help with those episodes as well. Somebody who understands the defensive side of the ball and the intricacies therein so they can educate all of us but uh, i've enjoyed the series again thank you for listening thank you for the support don't forget to subscribe leave a nice review for us if you have suggestions this is what you want to hear on the who day den this is a guest that you want to hear on the who day den you can find me on twitter at underscore taylor cornell and until next time who day <laughs>